You're listening to a sermon from Mission Ridge Church. Hang around after the message to learn more about Mission Ridge. Sermon notes for this message, or any of our other messages, can be found on our mobile app. Just search for Mission Ridge Church in Google Play or the App Store. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We are starting a brand new series called Coronation of a King. Love this graphic that uh, Logan is able to produce. Uh, We'll we'll talk about this as we go along, but there's this, there's this, uh, Mark is going to present that there's this uh, epic battle at play within the world. And, and Jesus brings that battle to the forefront. This is a, a new series. We just finished a seven week series covering the parables, the 10 parables that show up in, in the book of Mark, uh, the gospel of Mark. And now we're going to look at the larger narrative. And I, I want to talk a little bit about just kind of my approach. You know, I've been reading God's word for uh, 40 years, um, 40 plus years. And so I don't know if you, if you ever watched a movie and uh, you're sitting next to someone and they're, they're always, you know, kind of whispering in your ear about the, the next thing that's coming, that the next scene, you know, and they're like, they just, um, when we watch Lord of the Rings, my wife knows all the lines. Now she doesn't ruin it for me because I, uh, but, and she doesn't like, well, except for the spider scene. She, she does say, hey, the spider scene's coming up because she knows I hate spiders. And <laughs> that's the one thing, like, it's okay. She's just, pre- she's, make, she's making me ready for that moment. But uh, so when I, when I go into a new book, when I start reading Mark again, we just started uh, in our life transforming groups uh, going through 1 Corinthians. I try to read it with fresh eyes. I try to put aside what I know the commentators say uh, the great teachers in my life, what they say, I try to put those things aside and, and I try to just let the text tell the story first and foremost. And, and I want to invite you to do that, but I want to bring something up that N.T. Wright highlights in his book, how God became King. And it's this, that some of us have a shared bias when it comes to the gospels a shared bias. And, and he addresses this when he, this bias, when he asks this question, why did Jesus live? Why did Jesus live? Now we talk about all the time. Why did Jesus die? Right? Like that's a big conversation within Christianity. Why did he live. He, he's God in the flesh. He could have come and, and lived his life any which way he wanted to. Why did he do what he did? And why did he say what he said? Now, now to highlight why this is a shared bias, uh, he introduces, or he, he starts talking about the creeds. Now we're not necessarily a creedal church, not that we're against creedal churches and, and, Raise your hand if you grew up reciting a creed in church. Logan did. Anybody else? One and done. All right. (laughs) Um, The creeds have influenced the Western church 
according to N.T. Wright. And I, and I think he's right. And, and, and we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but they, the creeds have influenced us. Now, the, the creeds were, 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 were um, formulated to address problems within the church where people were, were, were coming up with these false teachings, right? The Bible hadn't been totally canonized yet. And, and they wanted to make sure that, that when someone says, I'm a follower of Christ, well, do you, do you agree with the creed? Yes or no? You know, so it was, it was this, uh, it, it's almost like a Reader's Digest version of the Bible. Who doesn't love that, right? I love those short stories. Um, way better than Tolkien. But um, let, I, I want to show you one of the creeds. I'm not, a, I don't, I'm not a big read forever kind of guy. <laughs> Logan Jack there shaking his head. Probably because of the creeds. Um, let's, let's, so this is the second article of the Apostles' Creed. This came, uh, this was formulated about uh, um, the fourth century. And it says this, I believe in Jesus Christ. All right. Are we good? Yeah, we're good. All right. Uh, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence, maybe hence, uh, he will come to judge the living and the dead. That is the second article of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, you know it's got to be approved by the apostles because it's got their name on it, right? Um, I want to highlight a couple things. First of all, um, it says that, uh, that, he, that he was born of a virgin, right? Important stuff. Absolutely believe it. You, did you know that two of the apostles never mentioned or two of the gospels that the apostles put forth never mentions the birth of Jesus? Uh, important to two of the narratives, not even mentioned in the other two narratives. But it's part of our creed. Should be, but why did the gospel writers not always include it? Why is that the case? And then there's a lot of focus in this second article about his death, burial, and resurrection. And, and that's important. That does show up in all four gospel accounts. But that's not the biggest part of the narrative in each of those gospel accounts. In fact, if we look the next slide, N.T. Wright talks about the missing middle. So Jesus is born and then he dies. He's born according to the creed and then he dies. Where's the missing middle? Where's the part where the gospels talk about his life? Why is that not included in the creeds? And it's not just the creeds. This, this has influenced us as, as Westerners, and I'll, and I'll show you how. 
Um, and again, we're not a creedal church, but I'm not against creedal churches. It's just not what we do. We don't recite the creeds every Sunday like some, some folks do. But when I baptize people at the point of baptism, on the day they're baptized, when they're in the waters, before I dunk them, before they get immersed, they go into the waters, I will ask three questions. Now, I have a bigger conversation with them before we go to the waters, before we select the date. But on the day of the baptism, I'll ask three questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Sounds kind of like the creed, doesn't it? And then I'll ask, do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Wait a minute. I did what the creeds did. I went from his birth immediately to his death. Finally, I'll ask, are you here to proclaim Jesus as your Lord and your savior? I never get into his life, at least not at the point of baptism. And I wonder if the creeds have created this bias for us where we go, you know what? Really interesting story, Mark. Really interesting story. Cool details. Fun facts, but not important to shape my life. I wonder if we have a bias that says that. So N.T. Wright asks, why did Jesus live? The second question that he asks is where is the gospel in the gospels? Where is the gospel in the gospels? When I was uh, getting ready to go to... I'm getting ready to go on missions down to Mexico. I was taught how to share the gospel with people. And I was taught using Romans road. Maybe you've heard of this. Well, next slide gives you an overview. And so you got Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10, 9 to 10, and Romans 10, 13. And, and these are all important things. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Yep, I agree with that. Wages of sin is death. Free gift of God is eternal life. Jesus Christ. Uh, God commends his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. These are super important things for us to remember. Um, all true. Scriptural. There's one problem. Jesus said none of these things. And I'm not saying that he needed to. But Mark captures Jesus saying, repent and believe in the gospel. So what was Jesus talking about? Because he wasn't talking about Romans that hadn't been penned yet. Not the, and apostle Paul in Corinthians is going to say he builds his foundation on Christ, not the other way around. And so everything that, that Paul says is based on what Jesus said. So what was that gospel message that Jesus was preaching? Cause it's not found in Romans. 
the gospel writers had the opportunity to tell us that he said all those things and they didn't for whatever reason. Um, N.T. Wright goes on to say this, this gospel that we talk about as preachers consists normally of a precise statement of what Jesus achieved in his saving death. So we're taught to always talk to people about the saving death of Jesus and how that brought atonement, right? You've been to, you go through any kind of evangelism course and that's going to take place. And a precise statement on how that achievement could be appropriated by the individual. In other words, if you receive this by faith, then you're justified. So this is what I was taught. This is why we use Romans road. Atonement and justification were assumed to be at the heart of the gospel. But the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John appear to have almost nothing to say about atonement and justification by faith. And so there must have been a different message that Jesus was preaching than what I was taught to share. Now, I still think Romans Road is an important conversation to have with people. But what I want us to wrestle with, and, and a couple questions I want you to answer for yourself in this series is, why did Jesus live? And what was the gospel message of Jesus? All right. Are we all good? Have I ruined your world yet? I've actually been wrestling with this for, for, for some years. And, I, and then I read N.T. Wright. I'm going, oh, wow, I'm not the only one wrestling with this. And maybe I was wrestling with it because other people had been influenced by N.T. Wright and, and were leading me in, this, in these conversations. But for about five, six years, I've been going, what was Jesus saying? What was his message? So I want you guys to wrestle with that too. Uh, before we get into uh, our first passage, Mark, I, I want to talk about context a little bit. First of all, let's talk about who Mark is. Uh, he is John Mark of the, of the Bible. And uh, he is found in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 15, Colossians 4, and 1 Peter 5. So I listed those passages uh, in your sermon notes so you could go look this guy up and, and just see what his history is. But he was a disciple of Peter and a co-laborer with, with Barnabas and Paul. And he received, uh, historically, they, uh, they suggest that he derived his information from Peter. So Peter had firsthand account of, of how Jesus lived. And, and Mark was capturing this. He was the, the, the historian uh, as a disciple of Peter. And uh, we, we suspect that he is actually the author because the earliest uh, manuscripts have his name on it. And so as these, uh, 
as these letters, um, they were they were kind of distributed as letters, but as these copies of these letters went out through Ro the Roman Empire, uh, he was always listed as the uh, as the author, and so that's why we suspect that that his. Um, the audience, let's talk about the audience a little bit. Who first heard these words? Uh, if you were with us in the last sermon series, we've, we've said over and over and over again that these, uh, the audience was Roman. Uh, that's, there were three distinct gre uh, groups that the New Testament writers wrote to. First and foremost, they wrote to the Jews. Uh, the other gospels, uh, is it's uh, obvious when you read through it that that their audience was much more Jewish. They use uh, Jewish tropes more frequently, Jewish Jewish tools more often. Um, the other audience uh, was Greek, um, where modern day Turkey is today. Uh, that was a big epicenter for the church early on, and that area of the empire was heavily influenced by Greek. And so you had uh, Roman audiences, uh, you had Greek audiences, and you had Jewish audiences, and, and we should pay attention to that. Uh, this book was written, this account was written somewhere between 60 AD and 70 AD, most historians will tell you. What's important about that period is that there was increasing uh, opposition to the Christian faith. And in fact, by 64 AD, it became illegal to be Christian. That Nero had uh, Rome set on fire. Um, really interesting story and in how that takes place. If you are a history nerd, go look that up. Super fascinating. But uh, he blamed it on the Christians and then Christianity became outlawed. Uh, in 64 AD and would remain so for about 250 years. So if you think you are in a, in a tough stage of your life, um, know that Christianity was in a tough stage for 250 years. Um, I think about like European architecture versus American architecture. Our old homes are like 30 years old <laughs> and theirs are centuries old. Same thing. Uh, our problems are important, but they're not 250 years old yet. I could imagine though, being Christian at that time and asking the question, why are we losing? Like, aren't we serving a resurrected savior? Like, wouldn't that be confusing? I've had far less than persecution. I've had far less than someone trying to take my life or the life of my friend or my family. And I've questioned God's, I've questioned God, like, why is this so hard? I, I can imagine they asked the question, did we do something wrong? Have you ever asked God that when things were going south? <laughs> oh, I only do that on days ending in why. I can imagine them asking the question, did we get it wrong? Was, was it not, was Jesus not really the guy? And Mark wants to address those questions. He wants to answer those questions and he's going to do that in this gospel. I find it fascinating uh, that Mark is, again, he's writing to a very Roman 
people about as far away from Israel as you could get. And we're talking about antiquity. And so this was a time when they didn't have Google. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have TV. No channel Four news. And yet they knew their history. They knew they, they, they needed no introduction of John the Baptist. Like Mark had just dropped John the Baptist's name and, and everybody knew who, who he was talking about. Uh, he could name drop the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And they, they were apparently aware of their scriptures because he just drops those sayings like, and, and presses on. Like he takes no time to explain any of this. And so while this group is very Roman, they're also very connected to what's happening in Israel and the scriptures. So we should pay attention to that. I also want us to pay attention of, of Roman culture. What was Rome like 2000 years ago when this was being penned? Um, it was kind of like America, <laughs> kind of like America. There's these uh, four pillars of Roman civilization. And I, and I put these in your bulletin so you could see them. Uh, education was huge. Now, now the Greeks started this. And then the Romans perfected each of these four pillars. Greeks started it, Romans perfected it, and we have fully adopted and maybe uh, we definitely lead the way in these four pillars worldwide. Number one is education. Education. Uh, the gymnasium was a Greek building originally used for athletic activities but which came over time to be used as a place of study and philosophical discussion. In the Hellenistic period, gymnasia became highly standardized, both in architecture and function, and continued their important role in young males' physical and general education. They became a common feature across the Greek world and were adopted and adapted later by the Romans, eventually evolving in the huge multi-purpose complex that was the Roman baths. When I was in Israel, I walked through a Roman bath. Not only did Rome employ these pillars in their home country, but every place they conquered, they would set up these pillars. Healthcare. Uh, one of their gods was a god of healthcare. And I'm not going to pronounce his name because, boy, I'd get it wrong. <laughs> Asclepius, Asclepius, something like that. Um, but they had these hospitals throughout the Roman empire and the sick were subjected to cleansing treatments and such as fasting and, and bathing and, and magical treatments like uh, incantations, these kinds of things. But healthcare was, a, was a, an important factor within Roman society. Entertainment. There was over 125 theaters established throughout the Roman empire. This was important hundreds and hundreds of people gathered together to be entertained. Very different than what we have going on today, right? Sports. 
uh, they, uh, they'd call it circus. We call it Coliseum. When we picture circus, we picture elephants and clowns. Uh, they didn't. Uh, we, but competition and athletics was, was something that they really valued. They celebrated athletics. They worshiped it different than what we got going on in America today, right? <laughs> I mean, if we were going to worship our athletics, we would pay people millions and millions and millions of dollars and they become billionaires. Oh yeah, that does happen. So Mark in his narrative he's going to set Jesus up as the great educator, as the great healer, as the one who amazes the crowds and as the ultimate champion. Mark's going to say that there's these competing kingdoms and we have a better king and don't lose sight of that. Uh, Implication for this series is Mark wrote to move his Roman audience to live for the gospel when you connect the context of their story to your own, you'll be moved also. So if you could identify with, the, with this pursuit of education as, as, as being important or healthcare or entertainment or sports. And again, we lead these four endeavors worldwide, don't we? And we don't even invite other people to our baseball games and we call it a world series. <laughs> that's, that's how much we dominate or at least we feel we dominate. Also, if you could identify with an increased opposition to your faith, where, where it just uh, seems less and less safe to share just who you are as a Christian and your connection to Christ. If that feels, uh, harder and harder, then maybe you'll be able to identify with the original audience that Mark was writing to. And so instead of reading Mark as an ancient, interesting story, I invite you to read it as a story written to you, a message about your experiences that have implications for you today. So that's a short introduction. Now let's take a, a look at a section of Mark's narrative. In the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea were going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem, they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him with a voice coming out of heavens. You are my beloved son in you. I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he is with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. Now I'll, I'll stop for here quick second. Uh, Mark is the only one this, that captures Jesus being tempted by Satan or the devil and was with wild beasts while in the wilderness. If you know the story of Romulus and Ramus, Mark might be making a connection there. Got these two mythological characters, part of Romans folklore that uh, uh, their mom was a virgin until God came down and impregnated her. Huh? That might remind you of a story you've ever heard. And, and then the king became angry when he found out that they were born because he felt threatened. And so they had to flee again. There might be a story that you remember that sounds kind of like that. Again, Mark is going to connect their stories. These two stories, there was this conflict between these two kingdoms. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. I want to remind you that Mark starts off with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And now he is preaching the gospel of God. And it's not Romans. And saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. You can reach out and touch it. It's available here and now, not when you die. Although I think the fulfillment is more so there than here, but he's establishing his kingdom here now. And that kingdom is going to oppose every kingdom that already stands that have, that have already proved that you can't quite always trust them. Can I get an amen? Jesus says, repent. And, and this idea of repentance is just turn around. You're heading the wrong way, head towards something better and believe what the gospel again, not what we read in Romans, even though what we read in Romans is really important. I'm not trying to detract from that, but I'm just saying that Jesus is preaching something specific that Paul will build upon later. But what Jesus is saying here and now we should pay attention to and how he lived, what he did should shape our lives. Not only his message, but his methods. And so part of 
Jesus's gospel message is this. There are these two opposing kingdoms. Let's, let's bring up the, the slide of, of the graphic so we can see the crown a little bit better. The next slide, please. Sorry, um, the slide with the title in it. Oh, yeah, there we go. Logan's got me. Um, so we got this crown, right? We got these two crowns and, and, the, and these crowns aren't meant to coexist. These crowns will always fight against the other. One will, will, will seek to dominate the other. Uh, I, Christianity actually grows the best when the crown is against it. When the crown starts getting buddy-buddy with, with the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom has a tendency to stop growing, right? Uh, problems emerge when these two kingdoms try to just mutually coexist. It's okay. Everybody's okay. You got the kingdom of God and you have every kingdom that's ever existed on this earth. But in this case, the kingdom of Rome, right? One kingdom is built on the backs of others. It's their blood. It's their sweat. And it's their tears. And tell me of a kingdom that has never been built on the backs of others. On this earth. We love to enslave people. Isn't that our history as a, as a human race? We love to enslave people. We love to dominate. We love to control. We love to profit off of others. And that's been the human race's reality when it comes to kings and kingdoms. The other kingdom, the other side of this crown, the one with the thorns in it, is built on the back blood, sweat, and tears of the king. And that's different. That's different. And we should pay attention to that, that these kingdoms are not equal. And these kingdoms aren't trying to do the same things. Which king and which kingdom will you turn to? Because Jesus calls us to repent, to turn towards the kingdom that actually will produce what you're looking for. See, I think we really are drawn to this idea of, of loving and serving people. But in Rome's kingdom, that's a part-time endeavor. And it's secondary. Maybe tertiary, maybe, maybe last place. Like it happens. But after we get done dominating after we get done controlling after we get done enslaving and profiting off of someone else. 
Mark is going to present that these two kingdoms are opposed. They're opposed to each other. And we could turn towards one or we could turn towards the other. We could serve one, but we can't serve both. And the question is, which kingdom are you heading towards? Now, if there's something that's going to get in the way of us pursuing the kingdom of heaven, it's going to probably be one of these four pillars. I've seen people put the kingdom of heaven on hold because of education. And by the way, I think education is a good thing. That's why Mark's going to set up education or Jesus as the great educator. I think education is good. We need education. But I've also seen people put God's kingdom on hold. Like I'll get to that after I deal with my education or you know what? I've, I, I got to get to the gym. I got to work out. I got to, you know, I've got to take care of myself. I got to sleep in my health matters and it does. But what is is Jesus in charge of your health or are you entertainment? I would serve, but that's the night my show comes on. I would help, but I've got this concert, man, you got to see this concert. It's going to be amazing. Um, I would help, but, I am binging something <laughs> on Netflix, right? Sports. I've seen families say, hey, we're going to put the kingdom on hold so that our kids can enjoy their 14 different sports activities throughout the year. And sports dominates the conversation for six, eight, ten years of the kid's life. And there's... The kingdom is put on hold. And I've done each of these. Like, I'm no better. And these aren't the only pillars out there that I think there's uh, some other pillars that we could add to this. Uh, I just added three uh, finance. Got, got to make hay when there's daylight, right? Politics, hey, I got my party. That comes first. Everything else, second. Status on social media or keeping up with the Joneses. How about you? Where are you at? If you're going to be distracted from God's kingdom, what is it for you? to think we could all say, man, I got something. Which of these pillars do you tend to celebrate? I mean, when the Washington State Cougars come on, I kind of want to watch them. You might hear about it. You might hear about it. The Cougars and the Huskies are playing here in a week. Jen, basketball, it's basketball season. March Madness is coming. That's good stuff too. I mean, there's so many things. (laughs) 
oh, there's women's basketball. Cougars are way better, better than the Huskies in that. <laughs> and, uh, but which of these pillars do you tend to celebrate? And, and then while we're handing out communion, I want you to wrestle with this last question. When does your celebration of one of these pillars turn to worship? See, we celebrated Jesus today. It was good. You guys were lively this morning. We celebrated Jesus today because he's worth worshiping. And, and I'll tell you that this week, Jesus is not the only thing that I've celebrated and let celebration turn into worship. And so the pillars are listed in your bulletin, except for the ones that I added, the three I added, which are finance, politics, status. And the question for you this morning, as we try to figure out Why did Jesus live? As we try to figure out what was that gospel message for ourselves? What are we worshiping? What draws us away from the real king? What counterfeit thing are we chasing after? When Jesus wants to be those things for you too, he wants good things. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Mission Ridge Church. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. We are a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come join us for worship. Service times, location, and loads of other fun stuff can be found on our mobile app or our website. You can find our mobile app by searching for Mission Ridge Church in your app store. Our website can be found at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for tuning in.